Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, the topic today is uh, management of in infective endocarditis in persons who inject drug. Uh, to present a clinical and ethical challenge for all the heart team. In today's agenda, I'll try to cover different aspects of this problem, including preoperative imaging, medical management, role of surgery, uh, transcatheter options, uh, addiction treatment after, and also postoperative rehab options available for us. Uh, we'll be starting with case presentation by our chief resident, uh, Michael Jaworski. So there's a broad spectrum of presentation and disease, so we'll go through three quick case scenarios. The first case is a 41-year-old female with a history of injection drug use and hepatitis C. She had a prior biologic triglyceride valve replacement in 2022. She presented one year later with infective endocarditis and septic arthritis in recent heroin use. She requested to use methadone treatment for medication-assisted therapy. We wanted to get her on medication-assisted therapy before surgery, but we were uh, felt strongly about getting her on Suboxone instead of methadone, and she finally agreed to that. So we um, took her to the operating room and did a redo tricuspid valve replacement. This was the prosthetic valve tricuspid valve endocarditis uh, pre-op. So for follow-up, she was discharged last week on Suboxone uh, to a skilled nursing facility, and she'll complete six weeks of antibiotics. The second case is a 31-year-old female with injection drug use. Um, she had a history of infective endocarditis of the pul pul uh, pulmonary valve, tricuspid valve, in 2022. Her last injection drug use was a year ago, and she'd been doing well on Suboxone and goes to therapy. She presented with worsening heart failure symptoms, though, and tricuspid valve regurgitation, uh, pulmonary regurgitation, and CTEF. And we took her to the operating room to do a pulmonary valve replacement, tricuspid repair, and a left PTE. Her valve disease is shown here, the pulmonary valve insufficiency, and then the tricuspid valve uh, regurgitation. For her follow-up, she was discharged on post day seven, and she returned to uh, clinic one month later, uh, doing well, remains injection drug use-free uh, on Subutex. And the third case is a 24-year-old male with a history of injection drug use uh, with methamphetamine uh, and a prior aortic valve replacement in 2021 for endocarditis. He presented two years later with recurrent uh, infective endocarditis with intermittent injection drug use, and he was declined to surgery elsewhere. Uh, he was seen by our uh, psych team uh, inpatient, and his uh, addiction and anxiety disorder um, treatment was started before surgery. And uh, he, we offered him a redo AVR with a homograph. And this is his prosthetic valve endocarditis. So his follow-up, um, you know, three months post-op, he's actually do doing very well. He remains sober. He has a good family support system, and his injection factors is improving from surgery. Thank you. I'm going to focus on the role of multimodality cardiovascular imaging in right-sided and tricuspid valve endocarditis. Right-sided endocarditis is very serious, increasingly recognized, as we all know, with tricuspid valve being the most frequently involved. Risk factors include, uh, as we know, intravenous drug use and the presence of cardiovascular devices and catheters. This is recent work we published. Uh, this work shows that for patients uh, with endocarditis readmitted within 30 days, these patients were more likely to have hepatitis C, HIV, opioid abuse, cocaine abuse, and uh, multi-substance abuse. Commonly, it's important to highlight that a lot of these patients had coexisting valvular disease, 
and tricuspid valve is the most commonly involved, as shown here. In this invader editorial commenting on a multi-center study on the role of surgery in isolated tricuspid valve disease, uh, we found uh, what's interesting is that tricuspid valve disease due to endocarditis etiology had reduced survival compared to non-IE etiologies in that these patients from this work had higher risk of reoperation, higher risk of late cardiac death, and therefore I think this highlights the prognostic value of IE etiology, especially for patients with isolated tricuspid valve dysfunction. Uh, I want to focus on my expertise, my interest area, which is multimodality cardiovascular imaging of endocarditis. To me, there is a critical role of multimodality cardiovascular imaging, not only in diagnosis, but also in detection of complications and high-risk presentations, as well as guidance of uh, treatment approaches, monitoring of treatment response, and prognostication. As shown, there are various imaging modalities available in our armamentarium, and it should be used appropriately depending on the clinical scenario. Transvestic echo should always be the initial diagnostic modality. Tricuspid valve endocarditis can be associated with tricuspid valve stenosis and or regurgitation, secondary to leaflet perforation and subvalvular involvement. The role of echo is mainly uh, involving defining the size of the vegetations, assessing the degree of tricuspid valve stenosis and regurgitation, assessing prosthetic valve dysfunction if there is a prior tricuspid valve surgery, and also assessing cardiac implantable devices in CIED, i.e. And importantly, not to miss assessing intracardiac shunts. So this is a transversal example of a published case that we had of a severe native tricuspid valve endocarditis as shown with the large vegetation, severe tricuspid valve regurgitation, RV dysfunction, as well as extensive pulmonary septic emboli. In comparison, this is another case that we have of native tricuspid valve endocarditis with the multilobulated vegetation, but relatively only mild to moderate tricuspid valve regurgitation and relatively preserved RV size and function. These factors are re all relevant for potential surgical consideration. The role of trans-esophageal echo comes in because it has superior image quality and spatial resolution. Therefore, we should use it in investigation of prosthetic valve endocarditis as well as CIED, IE, or complicated tricuspid valve endocarditis. This is another published example that we had of the role of TEE in tricuspid valve endocarditis. As shown here, there's a very large vegetation on the native posterior tricuspid valve leaflet, and this case really highlights the power of 3D MPR imaging in determining the precise location of the vegetation. Shown here is a different TE example, this time of a prosthetic tricuspid valve endocarditis with very bulky vegetation and severe prosthetic tricuspid valve stenosis with elevated gradients. These are all factors relevant for consideration of surgical management. To add to the flavor, this is another gross example of a patient with a giant mobile tricuspid valve vegetation associated with flail tricuspid valve leaflets, and as you can see, torrential tricuspid valve regurgitation. So if this is a patient who's a surgical candidate, this obviously should not be med med uh, medically managed alone. When it comes to, uh, to intracardiac shunting, shown here on the left-hand side, we've got a very mobile interatrial septum with ASD. Um, in cases of tricuspid valve endocarditis with a large vegetation burden, 
The presence of such defects obviously pose symbolic risks, and this has to be considered in terms of preoperative planning. Shown on the right-hand side, also commonly we see Peyton Foramen of Ali here with a right-to-life shunting, which is also very important to be aware of. We also need to be aware when complicated right-sided endocarditis is associated with left-sided endocarditis. As shown here on uh, this example, there's a large vegetation on the device lead associated with 3-plus tricuspid regurgitation. There is interestingly concurrent perforation of the mitral valve with the large vegetation and 4-plus mitral valve regurgitation. Clearly, this is a very high-risk patient. And if, again, a candidate surgical management would be indicated. Another example of a very severe case of prothetic tricuspid valve endocarditis shown here is a huge prothetic tricuspid valve uh, vegetation with a very high infective burden, and the whole valve on 3D imaging is coated. We showed in our work published here recently that contemporary imaging with modern 3D imaging technology improved diagnostic performance of endocarditis. And this is predominantly driven by improved diagnostic performance in prosthetic valve endocarditis. And this work shows the value of imaging for preoperative assessment and planning. I want to highlight that the current ACC AHA valvular heart disease guidelines have also acknowledged the role of CADEC-CT and PET-CT in assessment of endocarditis in certain cases. So we actually, in our group, published uh, the largest meta-analysis to date on this topic of PET imaging in endocarditis. We actually found that for uh, this imaging modality, prosthetic valve endocarditis is clearly a, a, a niche area for PET-CT imaging, as well as in certain cases of CIE-DIE, whereas native valve endocarditis, it performs poorly. Therefore, we would argue that PET imaging uh, has niche roles in prosthetic valve endocarditis and CIED, IE, and this imaging study should be performed and interpreted, obviously, at the center with experience and expertise. I also want to add the flavor of um, multi-detector cardiac CT. Shown here is a patient who underwent prior tricuspid valve repair. As can be observed, there is a lobulated pocket of free-flowing contrast or blood between the tricuspid valve annulus and the aortic annulus. And this is con compatible with abscess or fistula formation. And again, CT can uh, very, very well assess periannular complications, as we demonstrated before. We previously published on the diagnostic performance of TEE versus multi-detector CT in endocarditis. Again, this is one of the largest bodies of work on this topic. And we show that, uh, as we know, TEE clearly performs superiorly to CT for vegetations uh, as well as leaflet perforations. However, in terms of periannular complications, CT actually showed a very positive trend towards better sensitivity. And also, for prosthetic valve endocarditis, the pooled specificities of vegetations are significantly higher for multi-detector CT. We also have published on the role of multimodality imaging, listing the relative strengths and weaknesses of each modality, mm -hmm. ranging from transvasic echo, transesophageal echo, to multi-detector CT and PET imaging for tricuspid valve endocarditis. It's really important to be aware of your local expertise and to understand the strengths and limitations when applying a multimodality imaging approach. So in summary, Echocardiography is the key first-line imaging modality for right-sided IE and tricuspid valve IE. 
T imaging should be considered if transfer imaging is non-diagnostic or if there are certain high-risk features. Contemporary T imaging with 3D imaging is incremental in diagnostic evaluation. And we must remember that PET-CT and MDCT are adjuvant advanced imaging modalities for certain niche cases. And I would argue that multimodality cardiovascular imaging approach is increasingly important for the management of tricuspid valve endocarditis. Thank you very much. My focus to talk today is actually relapse after cardiac surgery, which I believe is the Achilles heel for the outcome of this patient, because you can do a perfect operation. We can set them up with the antibiotics plan and a rehab plan for addiction. But then if they relapse, they may overdose, uh, die, or have recurrent endocarditis. So our traditional uh, approach to manage these patients, us and other centers, is to treat the endocarditis first. Uh, and then we have a discussion with the patient before surgery that they commit the addiction rehab plan we have to offer them after. And uh, we'll take a look on the <laughs> national outcomes or trend with that approach that has been going maybe through since 2002 to 2018 or 20. So this first study is from our endocarditis center group. Uh, published in 2019. They look at us hospitalization for patients with endocarditis associated with injection drug use. And you can you see in the blue color there, the Midwest state has actually the highest annual percentage change of these hospitalization uh, during that time period of the study. The different one for, uh, published in Jack uh, around the same time, they look for readmission rate. And from 2010 to 2015, you can see readmission rate has doubled in these patients with endocarditis associated with injection drug use. On the right side of the slide, uh, these are the factor, uh, the most common factor causing re readmission. And we can see drug relapse or abuse is the third most important factor for readmission within the three, first three months after cardiac surgery. This is from STS surgical database. Uh, from 2011, 2018, around more than 10,000 patients had cardiac valve surgery uh, for endocarditis associated with injection drug use. And obviously we can see the increased trend during that uh, time period of the study. Now, uh, important finding they have that operative mortality and significant morbidity were significantly higher for patients who present for redo valve surgery, obviously relapse after a prior valve surgery. And this uh, the study that Dr. Gordon have presented, uh, Dr. Shista study published in 2015. Uh, we looked at the endocarditis cases done at the Cleveland Clinic from 07 to 2012, and 41 patients had uh, endocarditis surgery for injection drug use. And as Dr. Gordon pointed out, the first three to six months post-op rehab, patients who had history of injection drug use have higher, uh, 10, 10 times higher risk for death or reoperation uh, compared to patients without drug use, which probably related also to relapse. So if we capture all these uh, observations from the prior study, starting at 2002 into 2018, uh, we can obviously see increasing trend of surgery for injection endocarditis, either hospitalization, readmission, or surgical databases. Uh, we also observe higher death and recurrence of endocarditis. Uh, higher death in these patients, they're all young, no significant comorbidity. So the most expected common cause of death is probably relapse. And the same for recurrent endocarditis. Uh, also, we observe worse outcomes for patients who are presented for redo surgery. Probably these surgeries are also more complex, uh, and that's also related to relapse. And the third thing that was pointed out in the Jack study that increased readmission during to drug relapse. So it's clear that drug relapse after cardiac surgery is a critical uh, issue, and uh, we wanted to look at this in our own data. 
examine the incidence of relapse after cardiac surgery, the risk factor, and also outcomes in that context. So we looked at our own uh, patient from 2010 to 2020. We found more than 200 patients had underwent surgery for endocarditis associated with uh, injection drug use during that time. Average age was 36-year-old, and mean follow-up was around three years. So in that diagram, we can see simply the fate of these patients who underwent operation. So on the far right, we still see a good surgical outcome, so less than 2% hospital deaths, considering the complexity of these cases. And uh, this other red box on the left side, so at the first glance, 25% had relapsed, and they didn't receive offer for another reoperation. We have 26 uh, patients had reoperation, and out of these, 64 reoperation was due to drug relapse, 5% for suspicious drug relapse. So we can say 70% almost of the reoperation was due to drug relapse. And this drug relapse has a trend, which goes along actually with the studies that has been published before uh, during the first year. There is an increased risk of drug relapse in the initial phase, and then it plateaus out after the first year, which goes along with readmission or hospitalization risk uh, in the first three to six months, as uh, showed up in other studies we just showed. Survival is not that great. So at five years, 64% died of these young patients uh, after surgery. And I think this is the most uh, important critical figure we have of the study. Uh, I want to point out first that we did a lot of effort, did by Mike Zhivorsky here and the other resident, to get follow-up data from these patients. It's very difficult to call and catch these patients. So at five years, our follow-up, last follow-up was around a quarter of these patients. But with the available data we have, we can see here in the graph, uh, after cardiac surgery at five years, almost 50% relapse, almost 30% died, without the known of relapse, but it's most expected, again, to be overdose. And then uh, the green line shows the patient who's alive without any documentation of relapse, which may be below 20%. In our analysis, we have found that the risk factor for relapse was uh, younger age, uh, injection heroin use, and lower education level below high school diplomas. <laughs> So at our endocarditis center, our effort has been focused on multidisciplinary team approach for these patients. So we get, uh, obviously, cardiology, IED, us, uh, psych addiction, social worker to this patient before surgery. And we formulate together this plan, uh, surgery, then we have the antibiotic plans, and then we have the addiction rehab plan. Where are they going to go after surgery? We have also developed close follow-up pro uh, program like the Mosaic, which Betsy is going to be talking about uh, uh, in a little bit. So the conclusion of these approaches is that we have low operative mortality for these cases, but still, we, as we showed in the prior figure, we have higher relapse and late death rates among this young population. And we are thinking together now is there is room for improvement, how we can, uh, is there something we need to do different to approach these patients. Uh, so one approach that Dr. Gunn kind of point out is the bridge to physician. So we have patients who come in with active drug use, but may not need, uh, need urgent surgery, uh, especially with patient on the right side, endocarditis. If we can formulate a plan to uh, upfront treat their addiction first, uh, get it under control, and then do the surgery if they can wait. And maybe that can increase uh, the success rate and prevent relapse. So in this approach, possible candidates that we discussed together is 
isolated trichosbutvalve endocarditis, obviously history, documented history of injection drug use, but they don't need uh, urgent surgery. There is no indication for urgent surgery. And obviously these gonna be uh, in like goes case by case with our multidisciplinary team discussion. So they don't have ongoing sepsis. There can be controlled by antibiotics. There is no right heart failure from the trichosbit regurgitation. There is no hardware need to come out. There is no large vegetation that poses risk for large PEs. And there is no PFO or left side endocarditis. And UVEG is one of the options that uh, Dr. Gabriel will be talking about that may give us some time uh, if we plan to do an upfront addiction rehab first. But eventually, this patient is still going to come to do surgery. And the last point, obviously, that the patient need to agree for our rehab plan. So I would like to take this opportunity to share this with you guys because you're going to be seeing this in the chart more and more as our uh, group have been discussing these with patients. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.